0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 9th of June 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Acts, chapter 8, verses 26-40, and brings us a message entitled, A Man on a Mission. Could I invite you to come with me to the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8 as you're finding your place, there is a cup of tea and some refreshments that will be served immediately at the close of the meeting. And if you'd like to spend just a little while together in fellowship, there this facility is available to you uh, this evening. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. This is the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture He told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and they baptized him. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asutas, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all, all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word to all our hearts. When you read through the book of Acts, you cannot help but come to the conclusion that this book traces the history of the church from its beginnings on the day of Pentecost to its spread throughout the western part of the Roman Empire, from being a small Jewish minority to a populist group predominantly Gentile. And the key that opens the book is hanging, so to speak, on the front door. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we read these words, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This book describes not the Acts of the Apostles, for only a few of them were there, but Acts Of the Holy Spirit acts of the risen ascended and glorified Lord through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and this book affirms again and again that the greatest message that can ever be preached is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ someone has said it's neither a topic for discussion nor a matter for debate but a message to be declared a message that affirms God's love, mercy, justice, goodness, grace, and truth. And this book that we refer to as the Acts of the Apostles leads us into this glorious message. J.B. Phillips, in one of his commentaries, makes this statement. He says, As I read the Acts of the Apostles, or as I read the Acts of the Apostles, I felt like an electrician wiring an old house with the current still switched on. In other words, he felt his whole being tingling. Words like enlightenment, excitement, extension, encounter summarize the book that covers the time immediately after our Lord's earthly ministry. And here in this eighth chapter of the book, where we read from this evening, we have an example of that very thing. In Acts chapter 8, we have a church on the move. I said this morning that Pentecost speaks to us about a church on the move. I think it was Victor Hugo who wrote, There is one thing stronger than all the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. Well, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is more than an idea. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe. The gospel is God's dynamic formula for breaking down sin's barriers and setting captives free. Its time had come and the church was on the move. The salt was now leaving the Jerusalem salt shaker to spread all over Judea and Samaria just as the Lord commanded. And if you look at this chapter and take an overall view of the chapter, you will discover that it revolves around four different men. In verses 1 to 3 of Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Saul of Tarsus, the church's number one enemy. He made havoc of the church of Jesus Christ. That was his own words. He speaks before King Agrippa, In uh, Acts 26, he says to King Agrippa, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme And in raging fury against him, I persecuted him, even to foreign cities. But God showed this evil and wicked enemy of the cross that he was loved by God. And God's mercy and grace reached him and saved him. And had you been living in first century Jerusalem, in human terms, Saul of Tarsus would have been the last person in Jerusalem that many would have thought could ever become a child of God. But Paul was to write this great truth on a later occasion, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I'm sure had he known that hymn, he would have sung it heartily tonight. the night, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. The chapter is also about a powerful preacher. You read about him in verses 48. to 8, Philip the Evangelist. Someone has said that persecution does to the church what wind does to the seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. And we're told how the word scattered, the word spread abroad, the seed was scattered. The word for preaching in verse 4 means To preach, to evangelize, while the word in verse 5 means to announce as a herald. And Philip was God's commissioned herald to deliver the message of God to Samaria. And to reject this message would mean to reject the message of God. To reject the messenger would mean to reject the message of God and to rebel against the authority behind the herald, namely the Almighty himself. How people respond to God's message is a very serious business. Tonight you will either respond in submission to the message or else you will reject the message. What you do with Christ and what you do with the gospel of the grace of God will determine your destiny in eternity. But then there's a deadly deceiver. In verses 9 through to 25, Simon the saucer. In the days of the early church, saucers, magicians were numerous and influential. They worked wonders, they performed healings, they engaged in exorcism and practiced astrology. And they may have engaged in magic tricks, and they were empowered by Satan. They were false Christs, false prophets, appearing and performing great signs and miracles. Works of Satan being displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders. And it's a biblical fact that wherever God works, Satan will seek to work also. Wherever God sows his seed, Satan will eventually try to sow counterfeit seed. And he will use whatever method and whatever means he can find. So here we have an an evil persecutor, Paul. A powerful evangelist, Philip. A deadly deceiver, Simon, and a genuine seeker in the Ethiopian unit. The prophet Jeremiah had this to say about such people. In Jeremiah chapter 9, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows the Lord. What a word for this crazy, topsy-turvy world that continually throws aside what God values. What is of eternal worth and goes after that which is transient. And yet in spite of man's sinful behavior, God in love and mercy seeks the lost, rescues the perishing, and continues to care For the dying. And at times through circumstances, and at times through the witness of his children, and always through his word, he seeks to enlighten the mind. He seeks to move the will. He seeks to open the hearts of men and women and young people as well as boys and girls. William Gladstone was Prime Minister four times between 1868 and 1894. He was educated at Eton College and at Christ Church in Oxford. He specialized in the classics and mathematics and was recognized to be one of the greatest experts of all times in trade and finance. Someone asked him on one occasion, What is the sure remedy for the deeper sorrows of the human heart? And Sir William Gladstone replied, I must point to something which is called in a well-known hymn, The Old, Old Story. Told in an old, old book. This is the greatest and the best that has ever been told. And here, in this incident that we've read this evening, we have, in this remarkable chapter, the great truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I want to highlight three things very quickly. I want you to notice in what we read tonight, the necessity of the gospel. The necessity of the gospel. This Ethiopian eunuch needed the gospel in spite of his rank. To put it in everyday terms, he was the chancellor of the exchequer. With witty responsibilities, he would have traveled business class, first class, He would have been used to the VIP lounges. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this, he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brethren, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. To bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ. And I want to point this out tonight. Note it doesn't say not any. It says not many. And I'm sure this man from Ethiopia was glad about that. You see, it matters not about a man's rank so far as God is concerned. He is not excluded by virtue of his rank from those described by Paul in Romans 3 and 23, when the apostle writes, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Last Sunday night, we talked about a leper who came to Jesus and experienced the transforming touch of the Master in his body. In the Old Testament, we read of another leper. He was called Naaman. Naaman was commander of the army of the King of Iran. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Through him, the Lord had given great victory to Adam. He was a valiant soldier. But, 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 he was a leper. But he had leprosy. And leprosy, as I said last week, is a picture of sin. Like sin, it defiles. It disfigures. It destroys the victim. Here was a man, and in spite of who he was in the eyes of men, he was a sinner in the sight of God. He was a lost sinner on the broad road that was leading to despair and destruction and damnation and in need of God's intervention. This man needed the gospel in spite of his rank. This man needed the gospel in spite of his religion. It wouldn't be out of place to say that he was a God-fearing man. A man who regularly observed the religious feast of his day. What a false cloak religion gives to Christianity. And there are many tonight, and you know some, and I know some, and maybe there was a sense I was like them. Boasting in their church attendance. Taking pride in their religious observance. They cataloged these things as being virtues. They prided their own goodness before God. They made themselves out as those who have done nobody any harm, and by human calculations, they may not be as good as the next man, but they're not as bad as the worst man. And therefore, they are worthy candidates for a place in heaven, God's eternal home. There's no need for them to repent of their sin. There's no need for them to confess their need of a Savior. There's no need for them to call on the Lord for mercy. And where this man was physically, these people are spiritually. Luke tells us that this Ethiopian eunuch was in the desert, a place of barrenness and dryness. And this man represents many today who read the Bible and say their prayers but have no saving relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. They're sincere. There's no doubt about that. But they're lost. They're enthusiastic. No question about that. But they're lost. They are meaningful. But they're lost. And they need someone to show them the way the identity of the gospel sorry the necessity of the gospel it was needed in spite of this man's rank it was needed in spite of this man's religion but not only do we have the necessity of the gospel here we have the identity of the gospel what a story that unveils what the gospel is all about You see, Philip was not only a faithful preacher, but if you read down the chapter, you discover he was an obedient servant. He was a one-to-one person. And like his master, he was willing to leave the crowds to encounter one lost soul. The angel could have told this man from Ethiopia how to be saved, but God has not given that privilege to angels. He has entrusted that to his people. Angels can never personally experience God's salvation, therefore, they cannot bear witness to it. D.L. Moody once asked a man about his soul, and the man replied, It's none of your business. Oh, yes, it is, said D.L. Moody. And the man immediately replied, Then, if you talk like that, you must be D.L. Moody. We see here that God, who is adequate for the crowd, is available for the individual. The gospel. Record bears witness to this, does it not? Here's a man called Sakeas. He climbs up a tree, a sycamore tree. And no one says to the Lord Jesus, when you're passing through Jericho at the corner of this lane, if you look to your left, there's a sycamore tree. And if you take a diplomatic glance upwards, you will see a little man on the tree. His name's Sakeas. He's a weak crook. And if ever a man needed salvation, I can tell you he needs it. No, no. No one needed to say that to the Savior. Savior comes to the tree and he says, case, make haste. Then come die. Here's a woman with an issue of blood. And many thronged the Savior that day, but she touched him. And the Savior knew it. Here's a woman at the well. And Jesus tells John tells us in his gospel record in chapter 4 that Jesus must go through Samaria because there was a woman at the well who needed living water. And such is the quality of God's love in Christ that although there were 99 safely gathered in, he goes out to the mountain wild and bare and he seeks that one lost sheep. He finds it and he brings it safely home. The Bible speaks of a Savior who loved the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. The Bible speaks of the Son of God who loved the church and gave himself for it. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian believers and he says this, The Son of God loved me. Me. And we know something about the character of Paul from Acts 26. I referred to it earlier. Paul says the Son of God loved me. Me. And he gave himself for me. And as Philip draws near to the chariot, he hears this man reading from Isaiah, a very common practice in those days. It seems that God was preparing his heart and soul for the arrival of his servant Philip. As we've already learned tonight, Isaiah 53 was the passage and it's all about God's suffering servant. The writer speaks about Christ and his birth, his life and ministry. His substitutionary death, Henry, read from an earlier in the service tonight, and his victorious resurrection. And the Ethiopian eunuch focused on verse 7 and 8 of Isaiah 53, which described our Lord as the willing sacrifice for sinners, even to the point of a cruel death on the cross reserved for the vilest of criminals. And as Philip began to explain these truths, the man from Ethiopia began to grasp these great gospel truths as the Spirit of God dealt with him. The great truth of substitution runs from Genesis to Revelation. Animals were sacrificed so that God might clothe Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and 21. He provided a ram to die in the place of Isaac, Genesis 22 and 13. At the Passover, innocent lambs were sacrificed for guilty people, Exodus 12. And the entire Jewish religion was based on the shedding of blood for the basis of man's forgiveness, Leviticus chapter 17. And as this God-fearing man listened to the word of God being expounded, faith was born in his heart. How well the Bible tells us that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. Have you heard the message tonight? How long is it? since you last heard the message you've spent a lifetime hearing the message of the gospel and the great danger tonight is this that you could die in your sin because you haven't heeded the message you haven't appropriated the message the message concerning your sin the message regarding the only savior who can save you who died that you might be forgiven oh the necessity of the gospel this man needed it in spite of his rank in spite of his religion The identity of the gospel that Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He took my sins and your sins. He took our sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered. He died alone. And as I close tonight, not only does the story reveal the necessity of the gospel and the identity of the gospel, but the reality of the gospel. The Ethiopian eunuch believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. He became a child of God. The desert place became a place of blessing. Barrenness gave way to blessing. And in the most unexpected place, he found the Savior and became a child of God. I can just listen to him speaking with his governmental colleagues a few weeks later when they were in conference. Maybe someone said, Well, anything to report? And different callings were saying different things. he said, Well, a very interesting thing happened to me. In the chariot. And he told them a story. And they smiled at each other. You know that smile that conveys he's lost the plot? Yeah? He's away with it. He's away with the furries, you know. He let them talk for a while. And then he would have said this. You can say whatever you want to say. But I was there when it happened. And I ought to know. And you know, he was no classic Christian. He was not ashamed of Christ. And he was not unwilling to publicly confess that he was the Lord. And so he gave command for the chariot to be stopped he went down into the water not as a baby he went down into the water as not an adult he went down into the water as a believer he did not go into the water in order to become a believer and no one else went for him he went himself and as he went down onto the water it was to symbolize his dying to his old ways to his old life before he became a child of God And as he rose out of the waters, it was to indicate that he was under new management. He was walking a new road. He was heading in a different direction. He was the Lord's, and his baptism was the biblical way that God had ordained in his word for him to follow, now that he was trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And as he came up out of the waters, it was a sign that he had new life and was seeking to walk with the Lord and prove Christ to be sufficient for all things in life and death could I have sung what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart it's very interesting to think about this tonight when God met this man he revealed to him his ignorance he initiated his interest He granted him light he tested his intentions and he changed his identity what a saviour what a gospel here was a man who loved the Lord here was a man who had an appreciation of what Christ had done for him on the cross and here was a man who indicated his love for his saviour in a divinely appointed way by his obedience to the word I take him at his word indeed. Christ died for sinners. This I read. And in my heart I find a need of him to be my Savior. Do you need to come to the cross tonight? Do you need to go through the waters tonight? What is hindering you in your obedience to the Lord? Well, In the light of Calvary love will you allow nothing or no one to stand in the way? And the narrative closes with this tremendous truth that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Is there joy in your heart tonight? If you want joy, real joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins, He'll take away. Your night, He'll turn to day. If you want joy, real joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Father, read Your Word in all our hearts tonight. Many of us can praise God for the day and hour when we met the Savior, when we heard the message in a way that we've never heard it before. When we you that salvation was a gift to be received and grace was given to receive that gift and to follow the giver. You know our hearts tonight. You know where we are in relation to yourself. Lord, work in our hearts tonight according to your need, through your word, by your spirit. For Jesus' sake, Amen.